All right, we're live. Hello, welcome everyone to the July 2019 hashtag exchange SA chat. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to prepare for the National Physical Therapy Examination today. Really, really awesome topic. Uh, my name is Kyle Stapleton, Director of Communications of the APTA Student Assembly Board of Directors. Um, we're joined by Scott Giles. He's a physical therapist and he's the president and founder of Score Builder. So, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Kyle. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, if you haven't, if student, if talking about students, if you haven't been part of an Exchange SA chat before, um, you can interact right now on Facebook Live. Um, and there's also a Twitter conversation happening as well. You just have to follow the hashtag Exchange SA hashtag um, and all the conversation will flow right through there. Um, so just some beginning announcements uh, before we get started, before we get right into the chat. Um, so the kind of the big announcement that the student assembly is going to bring to you is that APTA National Student Conclave is just around the corner. It's going to come, it's creeping on, creeping up on us very quickly. Um, it's going to be October 31st, November 2nd, so it's on Halloween, um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So we're all really, really excited for that. Programming and registration will be opening around mid-July. Um, so look around the July 15th, 16th range for both of those to open. Um, and that'll be advertised right on our Twitter and on our Facebook when um, programming registrations open. So definitely keep on the lookout for that. It'll just be like every regular NSC. So look, you know, just the classic lineup with all the good programming. PT Pub Night will be on Thursday. And PT Pack Party will be on Friday night, just like NSC is every year. So we're really awesome. We're really excited about that. Also, from your NSC project committee, the update they want to share for all the students who are going to be attending NSC is to bring a Halloween costume. Since, again, it's a, it is on Halloween, there's going to be a theme, a Halloween type of theme. Um, they're currently working on it, but they just want to let you know, um, bring a Halloween costume if you can, because uh, there's going to be some uh, good developments there. We're all going to have a lot of fun. Um, so I think a link will be posted right into the comments from Sarah about NSC. And definitely hold on to that link. Registration will be opening very, very soon. Um, so, yeah, so before we dive into questions for Scott, I definitely want to give him just a little bit of a, a chance to talk about, you know, score builders, their history, you know, their story and kind of how they got to where they are today. So, Scott, if you could, you know, talk about that, that'd be fabulous. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've had this business now for 30 years. And I, and I say we because my wife is also a physical therapist. And um, we uh, actually had the opportunity to attend Springfield College's program. We graduated in 1989. We were actually the second master's class at the time. Um, but I became interested in the licensing exam when most people do, when you find out this is a, you know, a requirement prior to graduating and practicing as an independent professional. And so um, I, I remember seeking out resources at the time. And honestly, there wasn't a great deal available for physical therapists. There were several books out there, but many of them were kind of medical books that had been kind of spun or or, you know, uh, clearly more medical focus, but tried to be kind of chopped down to something that would work for a physical therapist. Um, but I just didn't find them to be terribly helpful or, or terribly, uh, you know, profession-specific. So I took the exam and, you know, prepared the best I could and, and was fortunate enough to pass, which I'm, you know, eternally grateful that I'm still in that club of a licensed physical therapist. And that is one great thing I like to remind everyone is that once you are in the club, you are in the club for life, uh, which, the is, club. which is fantastic. So even though I think that, you know, at a very unhealthy level about this examination, I think about it all the time, to be honest with you, I am grateful every day that I am licensed and am in the club, and you will soon be in that same club, which is a, which is a moment to maybe think about when you're going through a, maybe a study day that's not as uh, enticing as others. So anyways, um, so to fast forward, I ended up then, um, I ended up needing surgery on my knee, right after graduation, and I had actually taken a job at a brand new clinic that was going to be op opening in, in October, and this was, you know, I took the exam in July. 
So I decided while I was kind of laid up with this surgical procedure that I'm going to try to write a review book. And literally, I just started over the next two, three, four months, started to get into the process a little bit. And, um, and it, you know, I had no real previous business experience. I didn't really know what would come of this or what was even possible in terms of getting it produced, disseminated. Did I sell any? Did I try to sell any? You know, whatever it is. So anyways, um, probably about nine months later, uh, a review book emerged. And I was joking with Kyle earlier that I actually just pulled it off the shelf. <laughs> this is the kind of technology that we had back in the day. And this is, this is somewhat embarrassing to even be showing you. I don't think I've ever publicly shown this. Um, and to give you an idea what kind of the insides are like, it's not pretty. I mean, this is, this is, uh, just some information on diagnostic testing. You know, I mean, this was kind of like the latest in desktop publishing at the time, or at least <laughs> what we could afford. Let's put it that way. So anyway, so the first year we ended up I ended up putting a little marketing plan together. We got the book published. I think I had 300 printed, which was, a, you know, pretty much every dollar that I had. And um, and I think in the first year, we ended up selling 180-some-odd books, and uh, which, which we were thrilled I mean, we thought that was fantastic. And um, and had some nice feedback on it, had some constructive feedback as well. And so we knew that, you know, we needed to have another edition, and we needed to continue to improve this product. And... Um, and then over time, people started asking things like, you know, geez, you know, our school, our school uses your book. Would you consider coming to talk to us, um, uh, talk to the students about preparing for the licensing exam? And then, you know, many of our best ideas have come from students, quite frankly, in terms of, you know, geez, I'd love it if you had, um, you know, additional sample exams we could take. Or I would love it if you had flashcards or something in terms of a repetition tool. And then, of course, as the years and decades roll by, you know, the, the platform changes where now we have these, you know, this, the technology out there is amazing. So, of course, what do students want? Well, I'd like it in an app form. I'd like, I'd like it to be available to me all the time. I'd like it to be cross-device. Um, I'd like to be able to challenge and play against my friends in, in games that help me master academic content. And so we've been very fortunate o- over the years, o- o- literally over almost 30 years now, um, to, you know, have go out and, and have review books. And I think this past year, we did over 262 day courses. We have a group of 37 plus instructors. We, you know, PT and PTA combined probably move about 20,000 books a year. And wow. we're, we're just, we're just so grateful for what we're able to do. And, and we we're truly a, uh, you know, a group that just loves what we do. We have a great technology team and we're, you know, we always want to raise the bar and, and help students be successful in their journey. And again, we are, you know, myself, my wife, our staff, we are physical therapists. And so we, you know, we know the kind of effort and time and expense and resources that folks put into things. So it's ended up turning into a very nice thing for us. Um, 15 years of my professional life, I was a full-time faculty member, but throughout this entire journey, we've had the business. So initially when I was a clinical practice, you know, I, the business was on the side. When I was a faculty member, obviously, you know, you could research related to things like the exam, publications were encouraged. So that was a nice marriage. And then I guess in 2007, I stepped down and uh, solely focused on the business itself. And, um, and you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll be one of our 37 instructors. I'll go out and teach a certain number of courses a year. And, um, but this is really, this has been a labor, labor of love for, for me. And, um, and I, I would just like to kind of share that because sometimes we don't think about entrepreneurial opportunities or maybe you think, you know, I'm not sure if I could do that or, you know, where is there a niche or what niche could I create? And, and our school, you know, we're so busy learning 
so much about the nuts and bolts. We don't always have time, um, to, you know, in terms of the curriculum to, to have, you know, maybe the marketing or the entrepreneurial pursuits be a big part of our program. But I think it's um, in an ever-changing healthcare environment, I think there's going to be increasing need for entrepreneurial pursuits, et cetera. And so I, I get excited when, when I hear about things that other therapists are involved in. Awesome. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much for, for sharing that. I think that's a really, really amazing story. Um, and I think it's something that all of us, you know, physical uh, physical therapy students and physical therapy assistant students, you know, we can never get enough of this because bringing out someone's entrepreneurial spirit, it's, it's, it's something that just needs to be, you know, fostered from the beginning. We need to kind of introduce this um, at the be- beginning of our careers because it's just going to, you know, foster that growth. You know, if someone has an idea um, and they kind of listen to a story like yours, they'll be more likely to kind of chase that idea because they've seen, you know, w- what an awesome success story that you guys are um, kind of use that in, in their own path. So I really thank you for sharing that. And also just yeah. want to thank you, you know, for um, for prepping all the students out there for the NPT exam. Um, and I, I definitely use a lot of your study materials. I'm going to be starting soon, um, probably in the next few months, taking the exam next July. Um, we'll see kind of how the how the, you know, the study breakdown works. But I really want to thank you. Um, for, you know, for all the work that you put in. It's been really awesome. Sure, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Awesome. So I just want to welcome the students who are, who are here tonight. So uh, if you're a student, if you're a hashtag DPT student, hashtag PTA student, if you're a fresh PT, um, or like anyone else who's joining us, drop your name down in the comments, um, what school you go to. Um, and definitely if you're a DPT student, PTA student, you know, uh, whatever your calling is in life, uh, whatever school you're attending, definitely drop that in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and also, if you have any, uh, if you have any questions for Scott, uh, definitely drop all those into the comments as well. Uh, we'd love to get those up in the queue and um, and ask them live. So, um, I think we can start going with the questions. Are you ready, Scott? Sure. Awesome. So, what resources do score builders have? And this is more introductory. What resources do score builders have that are um, available to prepare for the NPT exam? Um, we, we have a pretty broad product line, and our, and our theory with that is that you know no two students are kind of on the same journey. Um, Kind of our flagship product is our review book. The review book, if, you know, is 12, on the PT side, it's about 1200 pages. There's, you know, very detailed academic review divided by, you know, systems. There's a huge pathology component. There's three sample exams, 600 questions on the PTA side, 450 questions because the score number of questions on the PT exam is 200. The score number of questions on the PTA exam is 150. Um, the review books come with, uh, any learning component. All of our, all of our products have a real big technology focus, um, where students take exams online because, of course, that's how you're ultimately tested on test day. And then very big kind of performance analysis features throughout. We have flashcards and apps and academic content review tools. Um, we do, like I said, I, you know, nearly getting towards 300 on-campus courses a year at, at schools like yours, Kyle, which you know you sat through. Um, and, um, and then we have an online version of the course, of the course as well. Awesome. Awesome. So that, 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 that's awesome. That's great. I love hearing about, um, you know, the materials that score builders offers because there's, you know, such a variety of materials that, that score builders offers a review book, like you said, also base camp, um, apps, you're able to challenge your friends in those. So I think it's really awesome for essentially us millennials to kind of, um, engage in studying. Cause I know I try to engage in studying in any, you know, medium or facet that I can, cause it's going to help, you know, promote and foster the best of study habits for me, at least. So and I think that's that great. Another, the base camp you mentioned, which was another, which is really a student idea. You know, and the, and the, and the idea behind that was, it's, you know, there are these idle moments of time, so to speak, where, you know, it, it, you know, maybe we don't have two hours to sit down and study, but we have 15 minutes until our next class. And it'd be great if we had kind of an engaging and fun way. So, you know, you, you mentioned the millennials. I mean, 
that we try to build those kind of things into all of our programs. And again, we love student feedback. And I'd like to say all these ideas have been ours. They're not. There are students that came to us and said, boy, it'd be really cool if, if this product could do this or do that or, you know, whatever it is. And we have a pretty good tech team. So if we can, if we can afford it uh, and we have <laughs> the idea, um, it's often something we can implement into the products. So thank Absolutely. you to all students for that kind of feedback because it's really, it's helped us to grow and it's helped us to make better products. And that's the only way that business can really evolve, right? You need to take your uh, pay, whatever it is, patient or, or client testimonials and kind of incorporate that and, and use it to, to foster your, your business growth. So, um, you know, I know we're always happy to kind of give you feedback on, on what we think will work for us, um, you know, to promote whatever, whatever it is, studying or, um, you know, whatever, the, whatever the idea is. So I think that's great. Um, so we'll start. We'll go with another question. So I, I get this question a lot. So um, many students are, you know, they ask about study schedules. Some of them, some of the schedules are ranging from, you know, more than a year out, studying a year out for the exam. And then I hear about others who will say they're going to devote four weeks to studying. So, you know, kind of what does score builders propose and what, what do they find is kind of like the happy medium for studying and how can it be tailored to kind of each student's background? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a tough one to answer. Um, you know, we do with our courses that we do simply due to the unique configuration of so many of the different programs. You know, some of these courses we're doing 10 months before students graduate or and or will be taking the exam. In other cases, we're doing it, you know, two months from um, when people take the exam. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, obviously uh, the type of study plan to some extent is going to be dictated on when you start to engage, when you have your course, et cetera. Um, we're kind of big believers at score builders that there's not a one size fits all plan. In other words, you know, six weeks is not necessarily better than four weeks or eight weeks or 12 weeks or 16 weeks. Kind of our philosophy is that, you know, as you go through these programs, PTA or PTA, you know, as you know, it's like at warp speed. And so it's, it's almost impossible to retain the amount of information just in terms of core academic content um, that you, you would really like you to, or you'd like to be able to yourself. There's only so much capacity and there's always new information coming in. So our, our attitude is that kind of reviewing academic content is always in style. And so even if, you know, in your situation, you mentioned you won't be taking the exam until, until 2020, we would still encourage you, you know, not, not to necessarily formally begin studying, but maybe, you know, let's say you're in a, on a rotation this fall, that you can start to dedicate two or three days a week for maybe, you know, two or three hours um, and start to go through some of the core content. In other words, if we can keep some of this information percolating in terms of the content, then as you get into that last semester, you can start to move towards some of the higher level decision making skills. In other words, maybe, you know, questions like good, better and best questions or content that's not just rote memorization of fact, but is applied level content. And so we kind of view it on this continuum. You know, a four-week study plan could also work. You mentioned that as kind of the, the short end. But to me, that would be predicated on the fact that someone has done some meaningful content with you prior to that and then is, is really committing to a very intense, intense study plan. My feeling is I would rather have someone saunter to the finish line than sprint to the finish line. <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and I'm a big believer in cramming. And as you folks know, that cramming is critically important or you could not get through a physical therapy program. But to me, the, the reason cramming can be effective in a physical therapy program is because you're kind of tested in, you're tested in chunks. Um, and so you can kind of cram to those chunks. But unfortunately, on the licensing exam, it's all the chunks. <laughs> and so Everything. To me, I think it kind of scrambles the hard drive a little bit to, to have that be your, you know, 
your preferred approach of, of studying. So we like kind of to front load the academic content, move towards the application information, and then periodically be assessing through sample exams. And quite frankly, instead of weeks, hours, or months, to me, the, the biggest factor is how comfortable do you feel with the content? How flexible are you with that content? Because it's not a memorization exam. Um, and what do your sample exam scores show you in terms of strengths, weaknesses, proficiency, et cetera? So, so we like constant assessment and performance to dictate the length of your study plan. I, I really like what you said earlier, kind of, you know, for the MPT, you're kind of tested on everything, right? So it's if you're going to cram all of that material, it's like kind of going to a buffet and saying, give me everything. You know, give me everything. I want everything right now. Yeah. Um, so that, that, as you know, that's not going to work. That doesn't really work too, too well. Um, so, you know, at a buffet, the kind of the goal is to get a little bit on your plate, you know, sit, go sit down and eat. Then maybe if you're hungry, you're probably going to be hungry after you go get some more, you know. So um, so I think that's um, I think that's really great. Are you hearing me OK? I am. Yes. Yeah. OK. OK. Perfect. Just wanted to make sure. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so because because, you know, once you've kind of sat down in your buffet, and you've had some food, your body might give you some feedback on what food now you'd like to go back and be a little more selective with. And we, we kind of view as your performance analysis, you're always getting information. Now you're starting to act on that information in, instead of just acting on a global review. So at some point, I think you have to get proficient with core stuff, but then start to drill down on what are the areas that are most problematic for you or that you have the most opportunity with in terms of improving your scores. And those are going to be very different than your classmate or, you know, regardless of the fact you went through the same program, you know, folks have different mastery. You have different memory of what occurred in the program. And, you know, we all have study preferences uh, by this point in time. Um, and I think we need to take advantage of those. Absolutely. And this is from Emmy Gonzalez. She actually submitted a question to me earlier. Um, so this is kind of following up on the study calendars. She wants to know if there's any formal study calendars kind of broken down week by week that are available from score builders on how to prepare. Um, within the within the review course that we offer, there we do have um, there are a variety of calendars kind of based on length. Um, meaning, you know, if, if you have 16 weeks until the exam, if you have 12 weeks, if you have eight weeks, et cetera. Um, so I don't, I don't think we really have a recipe or cookbook in terms of that, you know, but to me, you kind of have to be responsive to the relative weighting of the exam. And the Federation of State Boards is really fantastic in terms of allowing you to prioritize your information based on what's most important to the the Federation. And, and after all, regardless of our individual views on physical therapy, um, until you pass this examination, what's most critical to the Federation is most critical to you. So right. for instance, you know, um, musculoskeletal obviously being the biggest system area followed by neuro, and then you get into the cardiopulmonary, the other system areas, and the Federation, even in smaller categories like other systems, they'll make it abundantly clear how many integumentary questions you're going to have, how many metabolic and endocrine, how many gastrointestinal, how many genital urinary. Here's just a quick example for you. So like on the PT side, in in other systems questions, and again, other systems would be um, integumentary, gastrointestinal, genital urinary, genital urinary metabolic and endocrine, uh, lymphatic system, and then a category called system interactions, which is any combination of two different systems acting on the same question. I mean, they will get down to the granular level where they will tell you exactly how many questions are in each of those areas. Um, and obviously, areas that tend to be larger on the exam have to occupy more of our focus. They will also take that one step further where they will take a category like other systems 
and they will tell you how many other systems examination questions, which are primarily test and measures, versus other systems foundation category, which is primarily pathology. And what you learn when you look a little deeper in the numbers is you'll see that the other systems foundational category is five times bigger than the other systems examination category. So let's say you're scoring poorly with other systems. Well, you should clearly be pounding the other systems pathology, whereas maybe dabbling in other systems examination. So in terms of the number of weeks you plan to study, what we like to see is to roughly allocate your time in, in terms of your initial studying based on the relative weighting of those areas on the blueprint. Once you kind of do that main pass, then you're kind of getting strengths and weaknesses, and then you've got to leave yourself time as you're coming down the stretch to, you know, to reinforce, to plug holes, um, and, and occupy your strengths and weaknesses. So that's, that's kind of the way we like to be responsive to how the exam is weighted, and that's kind of what we teach in our course as well. Yeah, I think I think that's awesome. It kind of just building off of that a little bit. So we're kind of on we're on subject matter right now, and this even goes back to planning out your studying. So um, I've heard a little bit, um, you know, for other students, uh, professors, that you know, a good approach to studying for the NPT um, and kind of using score builders is start with you can start with the material you're most comfortable and passionate with, because um, again, you'll get more fired up about that content. You'll be more likely to to continue kind of throughout your studying because you'll kind of get fired up at the beginning and to kind of just, um, you know, bang on all the rest of the stuff as you keep going. But then I've also heard the contrary of that. So, like, you know, I'm very interested in musculoskeletal physical therapy. So I've also heard that you can start with – you can do musculoskeletal last. You kind of make your way through other systems, you know, neuromuscular, all those other systems, and then have, have what you like best. You have that – save that for last because it's like a more of like a motivating factor at the end. It'll kind of, you know, keep you hungry till the very end, and then once you hit the end – um, you're your favorite, you know, material, and then you can kind of, you can wrap up your studying there. Um, so my question was, you know, what do you find most successful with individuals? Is there a particular one you see more students successful in and, you know, and why? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, one of the things that I tend to see related to that is that I feel that people like to hang out uh, in areas that they obviously enjoy more. In your case, that may be musculoskeletal. And, and I've seen many cases where students have wanted, for instance, to have like an eight-week study plan. And this was more so when I was at the University of New England, I was interacting with students every day, is, and you find out, you touch base with them halfway through their study plan, and they're really just finishing up much of scale. And the obvious problem with that is that there's eight weeks, you just spent 50% of your time on your musculoskeletal-based review, because you are passionate about it, you like it, you feel successful, you feel, so... So one of my things I always like to remind students of is that there is a tendency to overprepare for your strengths or your likes and kind of underprepare for the areas that perhaps you're not as fond of. Um, so I, you know, I don't mind if people want to hang something around until the end in terms of, in terms of uh, a carrot. Um, I also don't mind that if people, you know, maybe want to take their medicine a little bit and have to dig into something that they're not as, as comfortable with. But what's important to me is it, is that they have some type of tracking mechanism so that they can determine. I'm a big believer in pulling out a calendar. And if I have, if I know my initial review, I would like to be in the 20 day area that I want to, regardless of how I, how I structure it, I like to be able to objectively look at those, those, the sequence of my study activities and see that they are consistent with what I know to be the weighting of the exam. And if the Federation is going to give us all this great information about how this exam is weighted, our study plan has to be responsive of that. You know, so as an example, let's say that you feel, let's say that you just feel cardiopulmonary is just, 
it's dreadful for you. You just you just really structured. Maybe you didn't think you struggled with it. I'm sorry. Maybe you don't feel like your academic preparation is up to, up to par. But and conversely, let's say that you feel really very strong in musculoskeletal. Well, on the exam, we know that musculoskeletal is virtually double the size of cardiopulmonary. Cardiopulmonary can be upgraded, meaning we think it's a weakness. We don't feel as good about it. We know we've got to spend more time, but it is never going to be the level of musculoskeletal status. So I love people to upgrade or downgrade based on strength, based on weakness, based on perception. But, I, but at the end of the day, I think your overall time still has to at least reasonably closely mirror the blueprint of the exam. I mean, I mean, like that's the, that's an awesome answer because I think it's the most salient to kind of our study methods, right? We need to really tailor our studying and the quality of our studying to to the quality of the exam, um, to the exact numbers of the exam. So if we have double the time, or double the questions on musculoskeletal, we really have to spend you know double the time studying musculoskeletal just just by the nature of there being you know more questions about it. Um, so I think that's a re- that's a really good takeaway. Uh, you know, for a lot of students who may not have the score builders, you know, on campus review course, that's a good takeaway for them that they can bring into their study. Yeah, and just to remind everyone, regardless of whether you've taken our course, a course with another company, or you know, I mean, there's there's many many things out there um, that all the information you know related to things we've been talking about, from the blueprint, the weighting, the structure, all of that is publicly available information through the Federation of State Boards of Physical Therapy website. And so I I you know. If the, again, if the, if the Federation is going to release this kind of information, I, to, to me, it's somewhat like cliff notes for the licensing exam. I think every student who takes this, this exam, PT or PTA, owes it to themselves to, to, to look over and really be familiar with that content. Because every, every program's a little different. You can't cover everything. Um, but we want to know how the exam is structured above anything else. Absolutely. So we'll go with another question here. So. Um, this is this is one from me. Um, how should you approach each question in the NPT? I know from the past you've kind of we've kind of been instructed to approach the, the the question with the utmost patient safety. So you kind of look at the question, read the answer choices, and whatever whichever one that's jumping out to you with the with you know the most the highest patient safety value, and also kind of the most effective and efficient uh, manner as well. Um, so I don't know what what your comment is on on that, and kind of how you think to approach each question in the NPT? Is there kind of like a formula you should use while reading every single question? Yeah, a couple things I think on that. Um, number one is that I, I think everyone should have a an approach where they answer every question in a similar manner. In other words, you know, maybe that approach is just, you know, reading the stem um, and then identifying the actual, you know, command for that stem. In other words, what is the question looking like? And the reason I say that is because, you know, when you go through the process, the question is going to be, you know, two, three sentences, whatever it may be. But you don't really even know just reading that question what's important, what's not important, until you ultimately know what the question is asking. Once you know what the question is asking, I think it's critical before you get down to those options that you should stop and generate. You should attempt to generate an answer to the question or at least move your mind into that kind of area of your brain where that kind of information is housed. On, on some of the questions, you're not going to have to put yourself in that situation because there are a fair number of what we like to call kind of level one questions, which are, which do tend to be more scientific in nature. They tend to be, in some cases, they could be rote because they relate to safety or whatever it may be. Um, and meaning that could be laboratory values, that could be contraindications, it could be things like that. But in other cases, which is kind of where you are going, you're definitely having to weigh the relative merit of each answer based on things like outcome, like safety, and you're 100% correct. This is this is an exam that at the end of the day, the purpose is to protect the consumer. But it's also, but it doesn't mean that 
we just go through and look at the most conservative answer in every case because the most conservative answer, of course, is not going to derive in some cases great patient benefit. Um, so I think I think this is where it comes back on the individual student. You have to start looking for trends. And when you're when you're seeing questions that you miss, that you know were kind of those decision making questions. Why did you miss that question? Were you too conservative? Are you too aggressive? Is, is this a theme? The other thing that I love, and all of our products do this, and some of the other companies do as well, is that once you go through the question, you should be looking at how did other students respond to this question? So in other words, let me give you two examples. So let's say you're answering a question, and on a given question, um, let's say you missed this question, and 78% of people got this question correct, and only 5% of people selected the answer you selected. Well, to me, that's setting off red flags. That's telling me, okay, somehow, some way, I missed the boat on this question. Either I was unaware of something that apparently most other people were aware of. Maybe it's a scientific fact. Maybe it's a value that I made. Um, or maybe I even made a test-taking mistake and read the question wrong. Compare, compare that to a question where maybe only 47% of people got it correct. And a matter of fact, 42% of people selected the answer you selected. So the reality there is that this is more of a decision-making question where you may have allocated maybe the outcome variable a little more because the, the way you colored the question. And then someone else might have, you know, they obviously approached that maybe looking more at the safety concern. But when you start to do that kind of an item analysis after question after question, you clearly will see trends. And you have to kind of, you have to learn from where was I rewarded and where was I hurt? And what am I seeing in terms of trends in my performance? So this is the hardest part to me in terms of studying because you truly have to kind of dissect or analyze why you're making the decisions you make. Your score will get better, obviously, regardless as you get more content back. But because so many of these questions are kind of what I would consider kind of good, better, or best, then I still think the reality is that you need to go through that individual assessment piece. And I think you'll very quickly find out what maybe you're overweighting or what you're underweighting. Maybe you are underweighting safety. Maybe, maybe you're overweighting outcome. But, but you, you'll find that balance and you'll start to see your scores change. Again, it, it, you're going to make strong changes in academic content. But if you can combine those strong changes in academic content with improved decision making, your scores are going to get better so much quicker. And that's so critical. And I think that's awesome you brought it up because there really is kind of three types of, of test taking errors, right? There's there's three types. So you got your academic error. So you kind of purely just don't know the content. You just didn't know. You just didn't know what the question was asking for, really. Um, there's a decision making error, right? You kind of you're looking at two answers, but you're not really positive which one may be the, the more correct one. But you kind of you kind of narrowed it down to two. So if you get that question wrong, maybe it's more of a decision making question. And then you have a test taking one. So maybe you're a little bit foggy you know, on that question or you maybe you just kind of read it over a little bit too quickly. Um, I don't know what your kind of thoughts were on that. I know that's the formula that Score Builders uses. Uh, maybe some ways that we can kind of, you know, kind of allevi alleviate those, if you could. Yeah. So I think in terms of we talk, um, we talk a lot about portfolio, and we talk about portfolio. We're basically talking about your combination of academic decision making and test taking mistakes. And so, you know, to me, one of the things you want to identify is what, what are your tendencies in terms of, of those mistakes that you'll see over time. Obviously, academic mistakes being that, hey, look, there's additional academic content I just didn't possess. Decision-making mistakes being that, um, you know, I made a different kind of assessment after weighing the collective variables and, and answered the question ultimately incorrectly. And then a test-taking mistake clearly being that, 
um, you know, is a reading comprehension mistake. I answered a different question than, you know, than um, was asked. And so it wasn't that I maybe didn't know the academic information. I couldn't make good decisions. The reality was I didn't have the requisite information, uh, um, you know, based on reading comprehension. I, I was going after something different. So I think, first of all, identifying what your tendencies are and then acting on those tendencies becomes critically important. And Kyle, I apologize. I, my computer just started beeping. Let me just, I just need to make a quick power update to this and I will, I'll be yeah. back in 30 seconds. Absolutely. No worries. No worries. Yeah, guys. So I hope you're, you're garnering a lot of knowledge here. I know Scott, um, you know, just has a wealth uh, of knowledge and, and, you know, licensure prep for students. Um, and as you know, we kind of have the horse school score builders brand. So I um, hope you're all really garnering some, some information from this chat. And, you know, while he's gone, if you guys have any questions, I would love to have those um, dropped into the comments. We'd love to queue those up. So if you have anything that's pertaining to the NPT at all, um, drop it into the comments. We would love to, to put them in the queue and, um, and get them rolling. So um, thank you all for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. Okay, sorry about that. Good. No, that, that's, that's no worries at all. Um, just kind of emphasizing to everyone, if they have any questions, they can, they can put them right into the comments because we love to get them rolling um, since we have, while we have you for another half hour. All right. So, so this is a big one um, that I, that I you know, talk with my friends a lot with. Um, how do you recommend students budget studying while being on clinical rotations full time? So if you're, you know, taking if you're in clinical rotations your whole third year, how do you kind of budget that studying while also trying to maximize your clinical rotation and maximize, you know, your patient care in that rotation? Yeah, that's that's become a big issue. And I, and I think one of the reasons that's become such a big issue is that many states are allowing students to test early. And if students are testing early. So in other words, for those of you that may not be familiar with this. Um, in many states, students are potentially allowed to take the exam prior to actually graduating. So in, in most cases, it's that you, they would have completed all their didactic work, meaning their classroom work, and they may be finishing up a terminal affiliation or whatever it may be. Um, but, um, and that creates a unique problem if you're taking it early. And it's not necessarily a problem because it's also a potential opportunity, but, but, that primarily to me is going to dictate how it influences your affiliations. You know, if you knew you're going to take the exam in July and your last rotation was, you know, coming in, maybe you had two final rotations, one January, February, the other March, April, you know, you may decide to, that your goal would be to kind of get through your review book or go through core academic content review there during that time. If you're, if you're taking the April examination, conversely, and you kind of kick your study plan into gear in January, you are going to have to allocate meaningful time during during your study plan. And I think you're going to have to start earlier because the reality is you're not going to be able to put in the kind of intensity um, that may be necessary while completing a 40-hour you know, or more rotation. And you guys know what it is. When you get into these situations, you know, oftentimes there's work outside of your clinical time. Um, oftentimes you're in a commute situation and, you know, your days start to get very, very short from meaningful preparation. So the thing that I like is I like you to be realistic about your situation. And if you, and if, and if you know you're going to take the exam early and let's say it is April, then I think, you know, as you come through December and you come into even, even November or certainly into January, you have to just carve out, you've got to carve out time. You have to just, you've got to put the necessary hours in to get to that point because again, you don't want to be sprinting to the finish line. Um, the other thing I always like to tell students is that the data supports almost every year that your best opportunity to pass the exam is your first attempt. 
And that's certainly not to imply that if anyone gets into trouble on this exam, that you can't be successful. Of course you can. But the reality is that first time pass rates are the highest on your initial attempt. So to me, if you're in your Sunday best, you're as good as you can be, there's no stone left unturned, and your score reflects you on that day, you're, you're going to be a licensed physical therapist and there's no, or a physical therapist assistant, and there is no second attempt. We've also had situations where um, when I was at the University of New England, or even just we still deal with a lot of UNH students, in many years, they're about 50-50 they're about on whether they're going to take the exam in April or take in July. And there's always a subset of students who plan on April but just kind of life gets in the way, or maybe maybe they've done the right kind of things, but their scores are just not responding, that things are coming back slower than they anticipated. You know, in those situations, the Federation is fairly liberal. You can push your exam back to the next date. There's a, there's a small prometric fee, depending on how early you cancel, and there's also a, a kind of a reprocessing fee from the Federation, but it pales in comparison to the expense of this. So to me, you know, have a plan, fully commit based on when you believe you're taking the exam. But if, but if you're not ready, if you don't feel it, it, it's a sure thing, then to me, there, there's no harm in pushing that back because ideally we'd all like to experience this exam once. So again, you're gonna, if you wanna take it early, you're gonna have to make the necessary sacrifice to put into your schedule, just like anything else. If you have a little bit more flexibility, don't use as an excuse not to do anything because you're gonna find yourself in the same situation once May rolls around if you haven't done anything right. during the spring. So. Um, so carve out the pockets that you can. You only have to get licensed once. Um, it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but you know, to me, when you pass this exam, it's a top ten life moment. It's that it's that good. I really, and I will say this every course I teach. And if you think I'm being dramatic, and it's not a top ten life moment, then let me tell you, if, if it's not a top ten life moment for you, good for you. Like you, tremendous. <laughs> good life. <laughs> that is fantastic. Because guys, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. And, so exciting. It, it is top 10. I really believe that. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it, it's a lot cheaper to reschedule your exam rather than having to taking it a second time, right? Yeah, you'll, you'll pay the, in, mo, most states you won't have to pay the application fee again to take it, but you will pay the $485 licensing fee again, and you'll also pay the Prometric Center fee again. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're in for around $550, uh, no matter what, compared to a, a very, relatively any amount of money is expensive at this point given the student budget but it's a relatively nominal fee to push the date back and again if you're ready there's no value in pushing it back the goal is to take it based on readiness the other analogy i like to to give is that you know i like to think of the i'd like to think of students you know approaching that civil prometric center like you're just waiting for that date they're like a thoroughbred in that starting date and you're just waiting for that gate to go and that and that's how ready you are in this exam you know you're walking in you have a talk with your computer Look, great to meet you. We know how things are going to go today. I'm going to get licensed. I'm kind of excited about this and working on this for a long time. Let's go. So get that swagger before you take this exam. That's a really good sign. When you're that I love that. We'll, we'll, come, we'll, we'll quote you on that. We'll say, you know, get that swagger right before you walk in. Make sure you walk in with that swagger, you know? Yeah, big belief. And prayer is good as well. But prayer is not a primary strategy. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll default to the swagger, you know? Okay, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, that, that's awesome. And I know uh, I, my, you know, my program also says if you want to take the boards early, um, you need to you need to be all in on your clinical still. Like if they hear from your clinical instructor that 
you're not all there on your clinical, then then you'll you you will not be you won't get that privilege of taking the boards early. You'll you'll be defaulted to taking it in July. So I think it's also too important. They really still need to emphasize your clinical rotation, even though you're taking the board exam in July. You still gotta be you know 100% in on your clinicals, just like you are 100% on in your studying. Right, 100%, 100%, 100% right. You're paying a lot for your education, and this this should be a time of great mentorship and a really unique learning opportunity you know, prior to independent practice. So you're right. If, it, if it's going to compromise this or it's going to influence your you know, your performance poorly, it's something that should be considered. I should also say that there are many schools that don't permit that period. So in other words, some schools, it's just not an option. And I'm not, I'm never critical of that decision um, because I think it's up to the school to decide that. So if your school, you know, doesn't allow you to take early, then okay, that's fine. Just plan accordingly. And if it is an option, I'm just saying be realistic about um, your individual performance and your preparation, set a goal and move forward. And if you're ready, take it, knock it out of the park and, and, and enjoy May and June a little bit more perhaps. Uh, and if, and if not, then adjust accordingly. Not a big problem. The issue is that you're, you're ready. We want you to be ready. Awesome. And we just had a comment, uh, we said a question coming to the comments from Gus. Um, I don't think this is answered yet. So I think we'll, we'll dive into this one. He wants to know how to score builders questions, the, the, the specific question that score builders um, you know, puts in, in the in the the PT book. How do they compare to the MPTE quest, uh, qu- uh, test question format? Yeah, so um, you know, we believe they're very consistent with the the uh, MPTE format. I've been through the item writer training that the Federation provides for faculty. Um, we read every morsel of of information that comes out of the, out of the Federation. Um, even small things like you know the the ability to um, the ability to bold command words, the uh, the ability to you know not having complete sentences associated with it. We don't use double negatives, um, and, and so er- everything we do from a format perspective is designed to be consistent. Even even subtle things that a lot of people don't aren't really aware of, like even option length. Option length for each of the four options should be fairly consistent. In other words, you shouldn't have you know something that takes two lines for option one and then four words for option two. The other thing that, that we're fortunate that we get to do is we do get to beta test all our questions because we have a, a, a very cool free app, by the way, called PT365 or PTA365. And we do this as just kind of a, uh, we put it together as a sampler for students to be able to kind of, we consider it kind of their daily PT or PTA vitamin. And one of the things that's great for us about it is, I mean, it's a challenge to keep writing questions at that level because, you know, for some of you have looked at those questions, you realize every one of the questions has unique explanation of answers for every option. Et cetera, et cetera. But we get to we get to test questions, and sometimes, honestly, questions that we think are pretty good, uh, they're not that good when we look at the data. And conversely, sometimes you know questions that we think, well, okay, that's not terribly difficult. Um, sometimes it is, and it also goes the other way, where sometimes we think something is very rugged, and the students hit it out of the park. So that helps us balance the exams as well as kind of using the format. All of our exams, by the way, when we talk about the detailed specifications that the federation gives, you know, based on system area and content outline and how many of each, all of our exams are weighted to those exact criteria. And those criteria are in play for five-year periods. So, so for instance, the blueprint now is is into the second full year. This blueprint will not change until at least 2022. And when that happens, of course, the composition of our exams change just like the uh, the Federation. And some of you who have a little bit longer window might be interested in this. The Federation is kind of exploring now some alternate item pieces. And those alternate item pieces are likely going to include um, information from a medical record. And then the information from the medical record may be used to 
um, answer a small series of questions, probably probably three. Um, although, again, none of this is definitive, but the Federation has floated this, and they're likely to begin pre-testing of this um, in, um, in, in uh, this very next year. So um, the other thing the Federation is doing is now there are, um, there are visual questions, which are static images. The Federation has indicated the likelihood of moving to video. So, so you will now have some questions instead of the static images, you will literally see some type of video, um, uh, you know, wow. whether it's a, 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 a individual being examined, whether it's someone's gait pattern, whether it's a manual technique, and, and you will have to answer a, you know, one or more questions related to that. So, you know, it's really an attempt, I think, to make the exam more like clinical practice. And by the way, just to show you how old I am, when I took these, exam, there was still, back in 1989, there were still two states that actually had practical. So, and that was New wow. York, California. So in addition to the examination, you actually had to take a practical. I was, we used to joke, like, you know, what states might you work in? And you're always thinking, well, probably not New York and probably not California, you know, because it was a little intimidating. But, um, but anyway, so I think the exam, the Federation does a great job trying to adapt the exam to be more reflective of what we do as physical therapists. That's a really cool comment. I actually didn't know those kind of, those new developments. Um, I recently took the CSCS exam um, like a year, year, a year and a half ago, roughly. Um, and so the, the questions were just like that. They had like kind of the application-based, the practical-based uh, um, questions, and they had video, you know, of, of, you know, individuals completing, you know, whatever it was, a deadlift, bench, bench press, whatever it was. And you had to kind of, you know, grade their form and kind of in, instruct on how to correct their form. Um, so it kind of seems like they're going in that direction as well. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah, I think the technology is there, and so, you know, why not put it to use? And I, and I do want to be clear, though, anyone testing this year, there's been no indication um, that anything like that would be would impact you. But again, state, you know, the Federation has very good about sending updates uh, through their webpage. They're very good also about um, sending out to your academic programs. But just, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to keep in mind, especially since I know that some people listening to this may be, you know, a year or two years away from actually taking the exam. Awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, so we have a couple questions, and I'd, I'd love to, to get those in here. So Marissa says, she says, do students typically find it more beneficial to review class notes as their main study source or use the, you know, exam review book as their main source of studying? That's a great question, and I, I do consider certainly class notes to be one of the sources that I like students students to use. But I tend to find that sometimes class notes are not quite as efficient just because maybe they're not as uniformly grouped as something like a review book. So I, I also, I, I like to think of class notes as kind of like your specialty store. You know what I mean? Where like you may go there, you may use it, but you usually go there with a specific purpose as opposed to you go to, you know, your general grocery store because, you know, you come back from affiliation at the end of a long week and you have nothing in your house to eat and you have to get, you know, all these kind of things. So let me give an example. Let's say that you're really getting beat up on motor control questions. And you remember that, boy, you know, we had this wonderful intro to motor control kind of theory and application lecture. And, you know, I remember the course it was in. I remember we had some really cool handouts associated with it. I'm going to go plug some holes and go after that information. So to me, it's good information when you've identified a need. But I think in terms of generally progressing, I tend to like people to initially make their first perusal through the review books because I just think it's more efficient. More, and it already and it's already kind of based on the blueprint. So many of the things and let me just say that looks like we lost him. 
Sorry about that, folks. Let's see if you can just kind of get him back on. There he is. Oh, we lost you for a second. You're back. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So what I was saying is sometimes students will say, you know, why isn't my program then weighted to the same percentage as the blueprint? And, and this is kind of an important thing because, and, and I think the relevance here is that your, your schools do a wonderful job preparing you to change the practice of physical therapy, to refine the practice of physical therapy, to move it forward, uh, to advance the profession. The licensing exam is not as current as your actual, as your program. And remember, this exam only changes once every five years, and it can take up to 18 months to build the new blueprint. So, so at the end of a blueprint cycle, you're talking about something that's, you know, five, six years kind of, I don't want to say out of date, but just that the data is not current from that period. So always remember that, you, you know, your school may be, and a good example of that is evidence-based practice, right? I mean, evidence-based practice is a massive piece of all of your courses. I mean, the exam, quite frankly, is just not as evolved at this point. And that's, by the way, not to imply that evidence-based practice is not on this exam. But remember, there is going to be a little bit disconnect. And that's another reason why I like people to kind of start kind of with the review book and then build out and use some of their wonderful classroom materials, but, but use, it, use it with a purpose. I think it would be a little more efficient if you can do it that way. Yeah, definitely more on like the supplemental type of level. So because exactly. exactly. I, I know that, you know, class notes, while they might not be for every faculty member, they they may not be kind of the, you know, the appropriate depth, maybe too much depth or not as much or not enough depth for the NPT exam. And that's kind of, I think, where you see more pros with the review book because it's all kind of consolidated in one area by, you know, subjects, you know, um, gold, silver, bronze level of importance. Um, it's all kind of in there while class notes. Uh, they're, you know, they're a little bit more scattered and they may, they may be like a little bit more biased there. Um, so I think, like you said, using them as more of a supplemental type of basis may be more beneficial. Yeah, I think the bias is a good term. And that's not necessarily a bad bias. It's not bad. The, the thing I love about the, the, the notes from class is that, number one, you are the author. And so you, you kind of interpreted what you heard in a way that you know works for your learning channel. So I love the customization of it. The other thing I love about class notes is, is they're free. You already possess them. And those are very, that's, you know, that's very consistent with the student budget. So I absolutely see a place for classmates. I just think sometimes it's like, like Kyle says, supplemental is probably the best way to use them. Absolutely. And so we, um, we have a, another question from Facebook, and this kind of goes to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Um, is there a correlational study between Square Builder score and NPTE scores? Yeah, so we haven't, we haven't really done anything recently in regard to that, but I was telling Kyle before we started, that we did a correlational study looking at online advantage scores from the academic version. Many of you may go to academic programs that, re that require a comprehensive exam of some type, and we have a, a significant number of programs that use our online advantage tool as a correlational study, uh, or sorry, as a comprehensive exam. And so what we decided to do is let's see if we can get the schools to participate, or X number of schools to participate in a study that looks at the correlation between online advantage score on this comprehensive academic version of the exam and their actual scale score on the National Physical Therapy exam, Examination. And we, and we were actually thrilled to find that the correlation was was quite high, which we, we hoped to find, but we, you know, we didn't know it would be true. And I'm happy to, if anyone, certainly anyone can send me uh, an email, and I'm happy to, uh, um, to send you, you that information. It's a little bit tricky, though, to get real formal in terms of that. I'm always skeptical of companies that tell you they can, because the reality is the school can't just give out your score. The school can't, that, that's information, it's protected information. In some cases, schools don't even have full access to that, at least by individual name, um, unless the students sign off that the, that the school can have that. Obviously, the school would get your, their uh, licensing information in the aggregate. 
but it becomes difficult sometimes for third-party companies in order to um, garner that information because the only way they can get that is is specifically by individual student. And in many cases then, you know, okay, how are you getting that? Are they sending you a copy of their score report? Are they just verbally identifying that information? Um, we, we do believe that our questions are difficult and they're designed to be what we consider to be the difficulty of the actual exam. We don't try to make them worse. We don't try to make them easier. And even with the exam, of course, there's a range. But our goal is to collectively make our exams similar to the difficulty level of the actual test. And that's just because that's how we believe is most effective to practice, with similar questions to what you're likely to receive on the exam. Unfortunately, there's a million possible questions. So we have had some people that call up and they'll say, look, if I have all of your products and I know all the answers to the questions in, you know, in each product, will I be successful on the exam? And I, I kind of cringe when I hear that, but then I, but my reply is usually something like, look, if you have flexibility to transfer material to different scenarios related to this information covered in our, in our, in our resources, I'm very confident you'll be in wonderful shape on the exam. But, but that's the trick, right? Transferring knowledge to different situations. That's, that's a higher level technology. It's understanding the concept behind it and being able to apply it to different scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a memorization exam. And again, just to show you how old I am, when I, when I took the exam in 1989, folks, it was a memorization exam. And fortunately, the, the profession has evolved and so is the exam. And again, I'm, I'm thankful I'm licensed. But, um, <laughs> right. Awesome. So I think we'll have, we have roughly about time for three, four more questions. Um, we have, we have a lot in here. So I would definitely want to see if we can get through these. Um, so this is from Sarah submitted before, and we were talking about this prior, actually. If your state allows you to practice under a temporary license, do you recommend practicing part-time while studying? So I think she's talking about after you've graduated, you can work under a temp license in certain yeah. states. Do you recommend doing that? You know, that, that's a tough one for me. You know, for me, look, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, my priority is licensing. And if working is going to negatively impact my ability to be as good as I can be on test day, I'd, I'd like to avoid working. If I'm also the type of student who feels that I need structure and I feel I'm in a good environment and I've done some preparation up front and I'm a pretty strong student and my sample exam scores that I've taken are relatively strong and I've got two months until I take the exam and my bank account really tells me that I, I, I benefit from working greatly, um, work. Like, I think it's great. So, so to me, let your performance dictate that. If you're coming down through the spring and you're taking an exam in July, hypothetically, and you know that your reality is that you have, you really need to work financially or for, for other reasons, then, then that's the kind of plan that you could build to, to front load that plan with academic content, make use of your time during your clinicals. So you're more evolved, more refined. And so, because if you're going to start to work, it really gets into the question that Kyle asked earlier about, you know, if you're going to take the exam, if you're going to take, how do I prepare during my clinical? Well, if you're working, it's basically just like another clinical, except maybe even more responsibility and more requirements. And plus, you guys know what it's like. Any new job to me is like a job and a half. I mean, there's an adjustment period where you're working overtime, with, and not necessarily hourly, but mentally, you're working overtime as part of this process. So um, do, if you want to work and it's required to work, plan accordingly. I think that's really important. I always tell our students that, look, what's the one thing you can't afford to do? Fail the exam. Exactly. I, I tell students, you've been poor for so long now, what's more, more duct tape for your vehicle? More oodles and noodles? More, you know, wh whatever it needs to be, but put yourself in a position to pass the exam. Okay. But I, tr I trust people's judgment on that. I really do. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. 
And so this is jumping back to studying just a little bit with your interaction with students. And this may, this will probably be a tough question for you. How have you found the majority of them studied? Have they been studying by themselves or in groups? And has there been a particular group that has been more successful that you've seen? Yeah, that's, that's those are really good questions. Um, I'm a big believer in having at least periodic group activities. I, I really am. And, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, when I'm teaching a course, I'll, I'll tell people, look, look around the room. How, how much of a better physical therapist or physical therapist assistant are you today because of some of the people in this room? And the other thing is that every one of us has had different clinical experiences. And so maybe I had a pediatric experience, but, you know, you did a cardiopulmonary heavy rotation with acute care. And geez, if I could kind of go over some of that pediatric information with you and I could kind of break down some, some cardiac things, there are a number of things available in terms of topic areas, in terms of what we call work activities that the Federation makes available um, through the blueprint that I think are ideal um, late study opportunities with one or more other individuals. The key to me from a group work perspective is to have an agenda, have a plan for each time you get together, subdivide content, subdivide work, and then come to the table prepared to facilitate your components. So if you can do that in a planned way and you have some others, folks who you, you've relied on in the program, you know you have very compatible learning styles, I don't believe you need to do this yourself. And, and let's be honest, we know what it took to be eligible to take this exam. And so if we have a way to prop some other people up and they can prop us up at the same time, that's just efficiency. And, and anything I can do to put myself over that, I mean, you never know where that one piece of information comes by from or where it comes from, it puts you over the top. And, and, and look, here's the other thing I, I like to tell people. In as many years as I've done this, I've never had a single student who said this to me. Scott, you know what? I did pass my exam and I'm grateful for that. But what I'm really most upset about is I overprepared. I could have had a better summer. I might still have played more rounds of golf. I could still be in a relationship right now had it not been for my study plan. Okay, folks, that is ridiculous. <laughs> so my point is, throw it all out there. You have some great resources at your disposal even in your program. There's plenty of time for passive studying. You've got to do some things independently. There's no doubt about it. But I think also periodically working with some other folks with different experiences, different learning styles, can really re-energize you and can hold you accountable. Uh, you know, again, not, I know you're accountable, you're responsible, of course, but sometimes it's a motivational piece. And, and so I would encourage you to periodically dabble with group activity. I like that. I like that little bit of information that you said. It's just that one piece of information that may be relayed by another group member that end up, you know, getting the, of you getting the question right in the exam. It just could be that little. Yeah, that's small. That's small. So I think that's, that's really good. That's a really good tip at the takeaway. Awesome. So I think we can fit in one more question. Um, so this is from Erin. She submitted this earlier as well. Um, she would say, she wants to know, what would you say to the people who feel that they just don't do well in standardized tests? Maybe didn't do well in their SATs, didn't do well in their ACTs. Um, how do you, what would, what do you say to them? Another good question. You know, here's the thing I'd say about that. Being a poor test taker is not a, it's not a genetic condition. Okay. In other words, I don't believe it's like, oh, what a beautiful child, you know, brown hair, you know, you know, brown eyes, a poor test taker, maybe they'll overcome that, you know. I don't believe, I don't give into that, okay? And the reason I don't get it into it, folks, is because on this exam, there's no, the Federation does such a good job setting this test up to be, um, put, a, put a decreasing emphasis on test taking. Again, we don't have double negatives. We don't have all of the above. We don't have, we don't have none of the above. We don't have option one and option two and sometimes option three. 
those are things for people who struggle with test taking. That can be extremely difficult. And we've all taken tests like that. This exam is not like that. Matter of fact, even if it's like which of the following is the first, first will be capitalized and bolded. So if you feel you're, so first of all, don't give in. If you struggle with test taking before, let's let's determine if that is an issue for you. And how do you determine that? Look at your portfolio. And again, what did we say portfolio was? When you make mistakes, what kind of mistakes are you making? How many are academic? How many are decision making? And how many are flat out test taking? If you're struggling with test taking, then I think I would go right back to my initial approach. Am I approaching every question the same way? Am I stopping to generate an answer before I go down to those options? Am I, am I looking at trends in terms of, you know, maybe when I take exams in the afternoon or evening, I'm doing more poorly. My concentration is not as good. My endurance. I, I look at nutrition. I look at any variable I can. I increase the frequency of sample exams, right? Because if you're struggling with test taking, you've got to put yourself in that opportunity with more than one source of sample questions, probably three to four sources of sample questions. Maybe you would take anywhere from seven to 12 sample exams, as opposed to a typical student who might take five to nine, and constantly reassess. You get the opportunity to refine your technique on these sample exams, and I think you'll have growing confidence once you kind of formalize your technique. And then the most critical thing is, when you go into the, the test on that day under the bright lights for real, Use those same strategies. It shouldn't feel different. Okay. I mean, everything's obviously more stressful. It's for real. But the reality is you, you, you tested your approach. You, you finalized and formalized a specific approach. Don't implement different strategies on test day. But I, again, don't get discouraged if you're a poor test taker. That does not, that does not necessarily translate. And even if you're struggling initially, let's do some of the things we've talked about and you'll see your test taking improve. There you have it, folks. There, there it is. This is this is essentially the recipe for success right here. So this, oh, I hope I hope that this, you know, this full hour here is really a, you know, garnered some knowledge for you about how how to pass the, how to take, how to prepare, how to pass the MPT. So Scott, thank you so much for joining us. You know, oh, thank today. you, Tom. I'm, I'm I'm very I'm thrilled that you invited me. Uh, it's, it's it's our privilege and our pleasure. Uh, could you please, if you have an email address, could you share your email address for the individuals Absolutely. out there that they want to want to get in contact with you? Sure. It's real simple. It's just S Giles. So S G I L E S at scorebuilders. So all one word scorebuilders uh, com. So just S Giles at scorebuilders.com. Awesome. So, and this is for our viewers. If you want to drop this in the comments or if you have a Twitter, um, we'd love to have you interacting on Twitter. We're going to keep the conversation going on there. So after this exchange chat, hashtag exchange essay on how to prepare for the MPT, just tell us what you're going to do. If you learned anything um, and what you're going to do going forward. And if you found anything valuable um, on this chat, we'd also love to hear from that. And we'll, and we'll continue the conversation going um, on Twitter and um, on Facebook. Um, so, yeah. So thank you, guys. Um, thank you so so much again, Scott, for, for coming oh, on. You're welcome. Thank you, Kyle. Awesome. And, yeah, folks, we'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be back with some more announcements, um, you know, soon. Um, definitely going to have a, the August exchange chat will be scheduled soon. I'm in the process of finalizing that right now. Um, so we'll get that information out for you all on our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram. Um, as soon as possible. So really thank you everyone for coming in and tuning in tonight. Good night. Also have a good night, everyone.